where's the right button? There it is. We just sang, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And do you realize that that song is all about um, the coming of Jesus? And because it's Christmas time, and we think that's a Christmas hymn, the only thing we really tend to think about is Christmas is coming. But did you realize that Jesus is supposed to come back again? And that song really could remind us of that too. Jesus is going to come again. Because it talks about Emmanuel coming to be with us. So that's some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. I want us to think about some of these things. When do you celebrate Christmas? Oh, did I turn my mic on? Of course not. I don't have to do that. Sorry. How's that? Oh, my goodness. I'll scare myself. All right. Sorry about that. Uh, when do you celebrate Christmas? Starting in August? Like Walmart and Sam's Club, etc.? How about mid-October? I have some friends at work. They start playing Christmas carols long before Halloween. About the middle of October. Maybe that's a little early for me. How about early November? We we put up the Christmas decorations here at the church this year in early November. That that might be a little earlier than I would do it, but that's okay. I'm not volunteering to do that. How about after Thanksgiving? That's a common time that people start thinking about Christmas because that's really the, the next holiday. Maybe you wait till Christmas Eve. There are some families that do that. I don't know why, but that's their habit is they wait till Christmas Eve and they get all the decorations out and they spend all that evening decorating the house and putting up the tree and all and doing all that. That is really uh, up to you. It's an individual choice. We get to choose to do what or as the Lord leads us. How do you celebrate Christmas? Let's think about that for a minute. Is it with feasting or fasting? Do you have repentance? Meditation? How about penance? Some churches talk about penance this time of year. How about decorations? Oh, mistletoe. Maybe you put mistletoe out to get your sweetie. Um, gifts? How about a Christingle? Or a Jesse tree? Or an Advent calendar? Or how about an Advent wreath? All those things are stuff we use to celebrate Christmas. Uh, here's a fire-safe Christingle. I think that's how you say it. it. It's made of an orange and a candle, some red ribbon, some toothpicks, and some sweets or dried fruit. And it's a thing you can make to remind us of the coming of Christ. Now, this one's fire safe because it doesn't have a real candle on it. Most of them, the ones I played with when I was a kid, had a real candle on it with fire. Oh, fun. Yeah. How about a Jesse tree? Do you know anything about Jesse? Who in the world was Jesse? Jesse is David's father from uh, Isaiah chapter 11. And a Jesse tree, you have um Little ornaments that you put on the tree each day. It represents a verse in the scriptures that you read. 
and then you put that one on the tree. And it gives you uh, something to do each day as you progress along and as you start to begin to celebrate and think about Christmas. How about an Advent calendar? Now, this one is uh, very clear. It is uh, only the 24 days of December. Now, if you know anything at all about Advent, Advent starts at different days every year. And some years there are 22 days in Advent. Others are up to 28 days. And in some churches, depending on where you worship, you might spend a whole 40 days like Lent. They have 40 days before Christmas in the Eastern Orthodox churches. That's their tradition. Well, we're going to talk today about the Advent wreath. We don't have one. We haven't been able to find the block of wood we used to have. It's disappeared somewhere. But here's a representation of the Advent wreath. And it has three purple candles, a pink or rose-colored candle, and a white candle. And the first week of Advent, which today is, there are four, by the way, Sundays in Advent. That's how you know when Advent is. You find Christmas on the calendar, and then you find the four Sundays before that, and those are the four Sundays of Advent. And if you got out your calendar and looked, you'd find, oh, today's the first Sunday of Advent. So we're going to talk about hope or the prophet's candle. And it's one of the purple ones, by the way. All right, here's some churchy words for us. Uh, Advent, a season of the ecclesiastical or church calendar varying from 22 to 28 days or 40 days, depending or uh, preceding Christmas, depending on which church calendar you're following. Uh, the word actually means arrival or coming. I see I spelled that very poorly, but that's okay. Um, ecclesiastical, it's just talking about the church. Another one, epiphany. Anybody know when epiphany is? There's a clue up here. It's January 6th. A celebration of the realization that Christ is the Son of God. There are three biblical events that are part of this. First, the visit of the Magi in Matthew 2. 11 through 12, or 1 through 12. Uh, the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist in John chapter 1, uh, 29 through 34. And his first miracle at Cana, the turning of water into wine, in uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. This was a time when new believers were baptized. In church history, January 6th was a time that they regularly baptized new believers. Now, I don't know, I didn't study enough to know if that's the only time of the year they did that, but that's one of the times at least that was the habit of baptizing new believers. Let's look at some scriptures. This one, Genesis 3, 18-15. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, 
so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Most of us recognize that. We've read it lots of times. This is really the first mention of the coming of the Messiah that we're aware of in the Scriptures. When God promised Eve that her offspring would crush the head of the serpent. Shortly thereafter, in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, this is what we read. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Here she is, a very short time apparently after, when that promise of God was made, thinking, hey, maybe this is the guy. Maybe this is the Messiah. I've had a man-child. As we move on through the Scriptures, we see here in Genesis 15, 1-6, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you're, you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. See, when God first made that promise of a Messiah coming, it was to the whole world. There was only Adam and Eve, and it was all of mankind was given that promise. Here we start seeing God narrowing down that the Messiah was going to come through the nation of Israel, through this man, Abram, who had his name changed to Abraham shortly after this. Look at Isaiah. We talked about a Jesse tree earlier. Here's the verse that talks about that. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his root a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of might. 
the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will be, excuse me, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. What a time that's going to be. Can you imagine lions lying down with lambs? Today, if we see that, they'd be eating one of, would be eating the other, right? That's, God is going to change what happens in this world. It's going to be interesting. We're, we should be looking forward to that, and I know I am. Let's go on. Oh, I should have mentioned on that last verse that um, that's another time where God is again narrowing down. It's not all of Israel, all the Jews, that the, the Messiah is going to come from. He narrows it down again to the root of Jesse. Turns out it's really going to be David and one of his uh, offspring. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 through 4. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, I happen to know that Aaron loves to ride mountain bikes. And um, if there were no mountains, if everything was level, what fun would that be? Nope, wouldn't be. But right now, we have opportunities that won't happen in the future because there are still mountains and valleys and places to go. We can look at the Grand Canyon and stare down in there. Or some of us climb down in there. But all of that is going to change. God is accomplishing things as we look forward to the future. 
Here we're going to move into the New Testament. In Luke chapter 1, we read at verse 14, He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of His birth. For He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before He is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. One of the things I noticed about this verse that I wanted to point out, it talks about the fact that John the Baptist, if you didn't know who we were talking about here, John the Baptist is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. You and I, we don't get the Holy Spirit till we trust Jesus. But John the Baptist got him when he was still growing in his mother's womb. Wow. That's a whole lifetime to have the Spirit of God. Here's another verse. Continuing in Luke a little bit later, starting at verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is he, excuse me, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill His promises to her. Here again, baby John is in his mother's womb and as soon as Mary shows up, what's he do? He leaps in her womb. The Holy Spirit's in there telling this kid to get going. Praise the Lord. Raise his hands up. I don't know what happened, but that's my vision. Ouch. Um, back in Micah. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, thou, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. God told us lots of things, lots of prophecies. Remember, this is the prophet's candle we're talking about, or the candle of hope. That's what we're thinking of on the first Sunday of Advent. And here we see God has told them it's going to happen in Bethlehem. 
And then you'll remember all the different things that God did to accomplish getting Mary and Joseph over there to Bethlehem. Some emperor over in Rome had to make a decree and said, we're going to have a census and, and everybody has to go to their hometown and get counted. So Mary and Joseph pack up and they head on over. What happened? Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Where is he supposed to be born? In Bethlehem. God did that. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, on whose living in the land of deep darkness, excuse me, on those living in, in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nations and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian, excuse me, in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and Forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Whoa! That was not where I was trying to get to. That's the one I just read, isn't it? Yep. Okay. That's where we're supposed to be. My goodness. I put lots of verses in here. There are 26 or 27 slides. And and uh, I have a long time to go before I'm supposed to be done. We happen to be on slide 19, just so you know. I better slow down. Lord, uh, let's see. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place 
to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. We read that story all the time at Christmas. We've heard it over and over and over again. How would it feel to be Joseph? You're Jewish. You've been raised Jewish. You've studied the scriptures. You know the Old Testament forward and backwards. And you know nobody's supposed to be pregnant when they're not married. And that if a woman's found that way, she can be taken out and stoned. I think this is what's going through Joseph's mind. I don't think he's remembering the promise that there's going to be a virgin birth. But I love Mary. I don't want her to be stoned. I'll just quietly divorce her. Man, I wouldn't want to be Joseph. All that going through your mind, trying to figure out what to do. What's the will of God for me? I mean, the lady I committed to marry is found pregnant. Not my fault. How in the world would you react? How would you feel? By the grace of God, God sends an angel in a dream to tell Joseph what's going on so that he knows that it's okay to take Mary as his wife. And he does that. He takes her. And he doesn't consummate the marriage until after Jesus is born. Over in Luke, we're going to read some more things that happen. Here, uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 35. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit 
that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed and the sword will pierce your soul too. In the Jewish customs, what was happened at eight days? Little boys were circumcised and they were given their name. That's what's happening in verse 21. Later they were to take him to the temple and consecrate him because he was the first male born from Mary. And that's what they did. And they bump into this, I don't know, should we call him a weird old guy? I don't know. I have never met Simeon, but he's in the temple. It says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's righteous and devout. Hey, he's a really neat guy. I would enjoy meeting him. Looking forward to seeing him in heaven someday. What does he do? He comes up, grabs his kid, out of the arms of his parents. Stranger danger. How many parents are, you know, wondering, oh man, wait, wait, it's in the temple. He's a godly man. It's probably okay. What's he start talking about? This kid is important. He is going to change the world. Now, that's not exactly what he says, but that's what happens. This kid turns out to be Jesus. He is the one that all of mankind should have been waiting for since they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Now, I'll tell you, there just aren't a lot of people in the world today that are looking for Jesus. There are not a lot of people in the world today that recognize they need a Messiah, that they need a Savior. But the world around us definitely needs a Messiah. They need a Savior. The world outside of the church is a nutty place. Every day we hear more and more of the crazy things happening. More variants of the COVID virus. More other things going on. Uh, robberies. Have you heard about this? Uh, smashing grabs happening in big department stores. Uh, 
80 people at once coming in and stealing the whole store practically. Crazy things happening in the world around us. But you know what? We have stuff to look forward to also. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, I'm going to read that for us. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. By the way, if you're not familiar with this portion of Scripture, he's talking about people who have died. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We should be looking forward to the return of Christ. One of these days, He's coming. And when we think of Advent, or coming, or arrival, this is an arrival we should be expecting. Even though we're thinking mostly of Advent, when we think of it, we're thinking about that, that time in the past when Christ came for the first Advent or the first arrival. But Advent originally started focusing on this idea that He's coming back. Parakleo, this word up at the top there, that's a Greek word. And uh, uh, if you read down here in the definitions, you can see it's to call to one side, uh, to summon. Uh, the idea is to, uh, to, to speak or to address. Uh, it might be uh, exhortation it talks about, entreaty, comfort, instruction. Down there at the bottom, the idea of teaching. Um, all of those when we think of the Holy Spirit, we think of a paraclete. That's this word from the Greek. And it talks about that idea of, of coming alongside. The Spirit comes alongside of us to help us walk the Christian life. To live for our Lord. That's part of what that verse talks about. We can look forward to his return. Here in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, it says this, And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts 
through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. A couple words in there I thought we'd talk about. Um, this one is the idea of hope. Now the Greek language is a strange language. Uh, English is worse probably, but 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 Greek is is there are words. If you look up there, it says it's, that's pretty tiny. I'll I'll read that for you. Expectation of evil or fear. Wait, I thought I just looked up the word for hope. Well, look at the second line. It says expectation of good or hope. It's the same Greek word. You have to look at the context to figure out whether they're talking about fear or hope. I'm glad English is a little straighter than that. We get a one word each. You know, that helps us. But the idea here is we want to be thinking about hope. This context is our hope. We get hope. Even though we suffer and go through trials, the end result of those ought to be hope for the future, looking to God, and having an expectation. This word is the word that uh, is translated here, uh, disappoint. The idea is to uh, dishonor or disgrace, to put to shame or to make a shame. That's not us. We don't. We don't. We Because we have hope, we're not disappointed. We don't get ashamed. We know that we can continue to look to the Lord and walk with Him. Even if we sin, if we screw up, we make mistakes. We all do that. We're all qualified. But God says He forgives us and makes the way right so that we shouldn't be ashamed, we shouldn't be disappointed, and we should... That's what I wanted to say. Here we're back to the... Whoop. We didn't quite get back to the hope candle there. One more, Greg. Oh, there it is. That's where we started. We're back at the beginning. Circular reasoning, right? That's very native, by the way. Um, again, the advent of hope. The coming of hope. The first week of Advent is all about uh, the prophet's candle or the hope candle and seeing that there's a future with the Lord coming back. There was a future for the Old Testament saints as they looked forward to the first coming of Jesus. And there's a time for us to look forward to the second coming of Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, thanks for loving us, for caring for us, for providing your word to teach us all about yourself. Lord, help us to live as those who have hope. Help us to look forward to your return one day. Father, we thank you that we have an opportunity in this season to look back to when Jesus came the first time as a child to change the world we live in. We're thankful for this in Christ's name. Amen.